This is Resurrection Sunday, the day we celebrate Jesus, who, having died on the cross, whose lifeless body was placed in a tomb, came alive again and rose bodily out of that tomb. The emphasis of the scriptures is that the resurrection is not merely a spiritual reality in which Jesus' spirit lives on unto this day, but rather a real physical resurrection in which Jesus' dead body came alive again. What is the significance of that resurrection? What does that mean for us? The answer to that is myriad. One answer is that if Christ had not risen, then we are yet in our sins. Another would be that since Jesus Christ died, rose again, and ascended into heaven, one day he is going to return bodily to this earth and reign over it. But the answer and the focus that I want to have for us today is that because Jesus rose bodily from the grave and was restored to life, so too one day we will rise bodily from the dead and be restored to life. That is a very important element for the ultimate and final hope is the resurrection from the dead unto life for eternity. One day, Jesus Christ is going to return to this earth. And when he does, our spirits who have been with him, when we die, our spirit goes to be with Christ in heaven. Our bodies are laid in a tomb. They are in the grave. But if we know the Lord Jesus as our Savior, our spirit goes to be with him. The scripture says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. One day, Jesus is going to return to this earth. When he does, the scriptures teach us that our spirits come with him and are reunited with our bodies. And so we are bodily resurrected and we will live with him forever and ever on this earth. It sounds like science fiction. Dead bodies coming back to life. But it isn't. It's real. It's true. It's our future hope. I can't stress that enough. Too many Christians think that what happens is we die, our spirit goes to be with Christ in heaven, and we are ever in a spirit state with Christ in heaven for eternity. That is an intermediate state. The ultimate hope is that we come forth bodily from this grave and we live with him on this earth forever and ever and ever. How can that be? We wonder. In the book of John, Jesus said this, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming 
when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those that have done good to the resurrection of life and those that have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. This morning, we want to unpack this simple statement. The resurrection is Jesus giving physical life to those that are physically dead. The resurrection is Jesus giving physical life to those that are physically dead. In the book of John, there are nine I am statements that Jesus makes. Oftentimes, to authenticate those I am statements, Jesus performs a sign or a miracle, both to authenticate the reality of what he says he can do, and also to give us a better understanding of what that I am statement means. For example, in John chapter 8 and John chapter uh, uh, 12, uh, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. In conjunction with that statement in chapter 9, Jesus heals the man that is born blind to demonstrate that he can give light and to give us understanding of that light. In John chapter 6, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And in conjunction with that statement, he feeds the 5,000 to demonstrate that he has the ability to feed those that are in need, that he is the bread of life. Our passage today, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And to illustrate that point, to authenticate that message, to demonstrate that Jesus really does have the power to give life to those that are physically dead, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And so this morning we want to look at John chapter 11 to learn more about what it means that Jesus gives physical life to those that are physically dead. I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 11. The first thing we learn from this passage is that Jesus gives physical life to those that are physically dead. This is a simple point, but I'm going to drive it home. Lazarus was dead. Not just spiritually dead, Lazarus was physically dead. Where we pick up the narrative, Lazarus is very ill and close to death. Verse 3. So the sisters sent to him, that is Jesus, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Lazarus then dies. Notice verses 11 to 14. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death. But they thought he meant taking a rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. 
Lazarus has died. When Jesus arrives in Bethany, where Lazarus had lived and died, Lazarus' lifeless body had already been in the tomb for four days. Verse 17. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Then Jesus actually goes to the gravesite. Verse 38. Then Jesus, Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave. Jesus now orders that the stone sealing the tomb be removed. Verse 39. Jesus said, take away the stone. Lazarus, having been dead for four days, had started to decay. Verse 39. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, notice the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he's been dead for four days. A person who has been dead for four days begins to stink. Their body decays. Lazarus had decayed. Lazarus is going to be raised from the dead. He is not merely resuscitated. This is not a situation where a person has a heart attack and dies. And immediately there is someone there that is able to perform CPR and that person is resuscitated. I read, according to a medical website, that the rule of thumb is, and I quote, that brain cells begin to die after approximately four to six minutes of no blood flow. After around 10 minutes, those cells will cease functioning and be effectually dead. Lazarus was not dead for 10 minutes. Lazarus was dead for 10 days. 10 days. I'm not trying to beat a dead horse. But Lazarus was dead. We learn that the resurrection is Jesus giving physically life to those that are physically dead. Now the idea is that Jesus gave Lazarus physical life, not just spiritual life. Not just that his spirit is going to live on forever. Lazarus was given physical life. Lazarus is in the tomb. His dead body is going to be made physically alive. A physical body was placed in the tomb. And it is going to be that physical body that comes out of the tomb. Notice verse 43. When he, that is Jesus, had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Some commentators have said that Lazarus was in such a deep sleep 
that Jesus had to shout to wake him up. Lazarus wasn't sleeping. Lazarus was dead. And I can guarantee you that you can shout as loud as you want and you are not going to bring that person alive. Jesus shouted so that everyone that was with him, people are gathered around. There was a great crowd and people are weeping. They're wailing. They're trying to console each other. It is chaos. And Jesus speaks with a loud voice saying, Lazarus, come out, so that everyone's attention would be focused on that tomb. So that everyone would see a dead body coming out of that tomb. Notice the description in the text. Verse 44. The man who died. Notice that emphasis. The man who had died came out. His hands, his feet, his face bound, wrapped with claws. But you notice it's his hands, it's his feet, it's his face, it's his body coming out of that tomb. Lazarus had the clothes that his dead body had been wrapped in still around him. Verse 44. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus was set, Lazarus was set free from all the restrictions of death. Notice verse 44. The last statement. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Take away these grave clothes. They were confining him. They were to remove him because he is no longer dead. He's alive. He's not going to decay. He's alive. And notice what we learn about the resurrected Lazarus in John chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. John 12, verses 1 and 2. Six days before the, last, before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany. He had left. He comes back to Bethany just six days before he's going to celebrate the Passover and die. But notice what verse 1 says. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Lazarus has been raised. Lazarus is living in Bethany, presumably with his sister Mary and Martha. And notice the next verse. So they gave a dinner for him there. The him is Jesus. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Lazarus is living a normal life. Lazarus is living as Mary and Martha are living. 
I won't get into a whole lot of theology this morning, but for those that it means something too, that people wonder about the millennial kingdom and how can there be resurrected bodies and people who are uh, still in their regular bodies. Here's an example. Here's an illustration. Here's a demonstration of that, that proof, that reality. This is life, the way it's going to be. And when we are raised from the dead, all those descriptions are not metaphorical. They are not simply allegorical. We are going to have physical life. We are going to be on a physical earth. We are going to be living like we are now, except no more pain, no more sorrow, no more sin, no more thorns. It's going to be a transformed earth, but we live in physical bodies on this earth. Thirdly, we learn that the resurrection is Jesus giving physical life to those who are physically dead. Jesus is the one who does this. Jesus was the one standing at the tomb. It was Jesus' voice that said, Lazarus, come forth. It is Jesus who has power over life and death. It is Jesus who laid down his life and took it up again. John chapter 10 says this, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down And I have authority to take it up. Jesus had the authority to die and to come forth out of that tomb. As a result, he is the resurrection. He is the life. It is Jesus who gives life to the dead. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Lazarus was given life and came forth bodily from the tomb by the one who himself would come forth bodily from the tomb. The question is, how can this be? How can that be? How can a body that is dead live again? As I say, I think the natural tendency is for Christians to think of dead bodies whose spirit has gone to be with Jesus And that's the end of the story. But it's not. It's not. The end of the story is that we come forth bodily from a grave to live a life like we do now for all eternity. We are not floating around in heaven singing hymns forever and ever. We are with Christ on earth living a life that he intended for us to live before 
we ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We have the life that he always intended us to have. For all eternity future, that is our hope. And it's because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Again, how can that be? How does it happen? Listen to the words of Jesus. Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those that have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Notice how this truth is illustrated in the raising of Lazarus from the dead. How did Jesus do it? John eleven forty three. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus came out. The man who had died came out. In John chapter 5, we read, All will hear his voice and come out. To illustrate that truth, Jesus stands at the tomb of a man dead for four days and says, Lazarus, come out. This is in keeping what Jesus had taught concerning the resurrection of the dead. One must be pretty powerful to enable a commandment like that to be fulfilled. Jesus has that power. Jesus is the embodiment of the Son of God. There are three persons in the Godhead. We refer to it as the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The triune God has existed for all eternity past. And before someone says, well, how can that be? How can I believe in a God who is eternal? Science says that matter cannot be created nor destroyed. If you think about that, that's a statement of eternality. Matter can't be created, matter can't be destroyed. You got one of two choices. You got to believe in something that's eternal. It's either God or it's matter. At least God explains where everything else came from. Believing in eternal matter gives no answer, especially to where life came from. How can an inanimate object give life? But an eternal God, the Son of God, took on himself flesh. John 1.1 In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh. And the Word became flesh. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. The Son of God is attributed the creative acts in the scriptures. John 1, 4, in him, that's the Son of God who took on flesh, so that Jesus is both God and man. The Son of God took on flesh, that refers to Jesus. 
But the Son of God is the one who the, uh, the uh, creative acts of God are attributed to. How did the Son of God create the world? Think about that. How did the Son of God create the world? Listen to these words, Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God said, let there be light. And there was light. Genesis 1.9. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. Genesis 1.24. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. It was so. God spoke, and it happened. God spoke, and it was done. It was accomplished by the command of God. The one who spoke the world into existence can speak life into a dead man. The one who by his word was able to create man and breathe into dust life is the one that can breathe into our lifely bodies life again. Jesus is the Son of God. Conclusion. All people, all people, let me put it to you in a different way, every single person is going to be restored to physical life. Every single human being on the face of this earth for all time past and all time future, any human being that has ever lived or ever will live and die will be restored to life. In Adam all die. In Christ, all are made alive. Someday, Jesus will summon every person out of their grave, no matter how long they have been dead, no matter how decayed their body is, no matter if their body was embalmed or cremated, no matter if their body was blown up into a million bits, no matter what the state or condition of that body is going to come forth from the grave and live again. Every single person, without exception, listen carefully to John 5, 28. Do not marvel at this, 
For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and to those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. All people are resurrected, but their experiences are going to be quite different. There are going to be a group of people who are resurrected to what is referred to as life. It's referring to a life of bliss, a life of joy, a life without pain, a life without suffering, no murders, no thefts, no longer any more death, no consequence of sin, no pollution, no thorns. It is a utopia for all eternity future. And then there are a group of people who are going to be resurrected and they are going to experience judgment. They're going to experience judgment. They are not going to know a life of bliss. They are going to know an eternal existence in a body that is incorruptible. Separated from Christ, experiencing everlasting torment. I wish it ended differently. It doesn't. I would not be fair to you today if I didn't tell you that truth. I take no joy in it. I take no delight in it. But I sound to you today a severe warning. Listen closely to the words of Matthew 10, 28. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Hell is a literal place. Real bodies are going to be in hell. The reason that in the future we will have no more pain and sorrow is not because of the type of body we have, it's because of the existence, the place where we are. It's because there's no more sin. But those poor individuals who are in hell are going to experience the most awful torment that one could ever imagine. Why is that significant? Because today you have the opportunity to assure yourself that when you are resurrected, it will be unto a life with Jesus. Jesus is the one who gives life. Jesus is the one who died on the cross. Jesus is the one who came forth from that tomb. Jesus is the one that if you place your faith and trust in him, acknowledge your sin, acknowledge your need of a Savior, you can be free from that life of misery and enjoy that life of bliss. But if you refuse that gift that Jesus offers, you still will be raised, but it will be a resurrection unto judgment. A resurrection unto judgment. Listen to the words of Moses. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse, Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. Choose life. 
Choose life. I implore you. I beg with you. I entreat with you. Choose life this day. Because Jesus rose from the dead, you will rise. But what will you rise to? Judgment or bliss? It's my joy to you to be able to say to you today, if you choose life, you can have it. If you want to be saved, you can be saved. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I say to you, if you know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, rejoice. Rejoice. Understand your future. Understand what God has done for you in the person of the Lord Jesus. Realize that you are going to rise again from the dead and live on an earth forever in the most glorious and wonderful condition with Jesus dwelling with us. But if you don't know Christ, it's a hideous thought. Hideous thought. So, please, please, choose life this day. Just a moment, I'm going to close in prayer, and I'm going to give an opportunity to anyone that would want to say, I want to be forgiven. I don't want my sins to be held against me. I want to trust in Jesus Christ who died on that cross to take away the sins of those that would believe in him. If you believe in Jesus, he takes away your sin. If you don't believe in Jesus, you bear your own sin. Every human being will be resurrected. But the resurrection is going to be quite different for those that have trusted in Jesus and those who have not. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you that he took upon himself our curse, that he died for our sins. The Bible says the wages of sin is death because Adam and Eve ate of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That which God warned would happen came to pass. The the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. The wages of sin is death, but we are thankful, O God, for the promise, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. I pray for anyone here today who has yet never trusted in Jesus as their Savior. They have never intentionally acknowledged their sinfulness, said, Lord, I need forgiveness. I need my sin taken away. I cannot do good. I cannot overcome it on my own. I need my sin to be removed through Jesus' death and resurrection. If you this morning would like that sin removed, if you want to be raised to a life of eternal bliss with Christ, if you want to escape the judgment of sin, would you quickly raise your hand? I'm not going to embarrass you publicly, uh, but uh, I'd like to know, I'd like to pray for you, not by name. Uh, I think I just saw a hand. Anyone else? Anyone else? Oh Lord, we are thankful for the message that we have to proclaim of life in Christ. We thank you for your great mercy. We thank you for, Lord, your, your patience with us. 
Lord, there are many who have heard this message over and over and over again. Many of us heard it more than once before we yielded our hearts and lives to you. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for the joy that we will have in the future. Lord, teach us, teach us that we're not just looking for a a bodiless condition with Christ floating in the airs for all eternity, singing endless hymns. But, oh God, we're looking forward to a real life on this earth in which we fellowship with one another, which we enjoy one another's presence, in which we engage in the pursuits and the joys that you intended for us to have before that dreadful day in the Garden of Eden when the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was eaten. Oh Lord, give us joy this day. Give us confidence in Jesus, our Savior, our resurrected Lord, the one who is coming again to raise us from the dead. For it's in Jesus' name we praise and give glory. Amen.